Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is taken from the Sword of the Spirit Bible Conference. This is the evening session of Tuesday the 17th of February 2009, entitled, How to Avoid Being AWOL. And the Bible reading is taken from Revelation chapter 2, verse 4. Here's Brother Brian Beaver. Well, good evening. Good to see all of you here. I'm so thankful uh, for the visitors. Uh, it's such a blessing to see all of you, some that I have not seen in almost a year. I thank God for you being here, and you know who you are. I've already said hey and hello, and I appreciate the opportunity. Somebody I just uh, saw that uh, came last year, I believe it's, is it Gail? There she is. There she is. And she said, how, how are you doing? And I didn't pick it out real quick. She needs to understand I don't speak English, I speak American. Okay, it's a little difference there. But no, I'm, I'm so thankful that the ladies are with us, and uh, I'm so thankful to be here myself. Um, turn in your Bible to Revelation chapter number 1. Somebody said last night that they were really uh, disturbed that uh, I wasn't preaching as long as Pastor Larry does. So, amen. And so, uh, but I promise you, uh, I heard a story about a guy who went into a service one day, and um, he was in the uh, Sunday morning service, and Man, it just got to be, and, and I don't mean to be unkind to the preacher that was preaching that morning, but man, it got to be boring. I mean, it was just monotonous, and he said, I got to get out of here. And so he walked out, and there was somebody else standing out in the parking lot. And the person out in the parking lot said, is the pastor finished? He said, well, he's been finished. He just ain't done yet. <laughs> so I hope and pray you don't feel that way about me tonight. I promise I'll be, uh, I'll, pe- I'll try not to be boring, and I promise it won't be long, okay? So Revelation chapter number 2. And look at verse number 1, Revelation chapter number 2 and verse number 1. I want to bring this message tonight because of uh, something that took place 18 years ago absolutely to this day in my life. Because of leap years and everything, 18 years ago to today, I remember where I was sitting, Brother Steve, when I got a call from my commanding officer that said, we've just declared war on Iraq. And you have to report to Greensboro, North Carolina, to get on a commercial airline to fly to Norfolk, Virginia, get on a ship, and come to Kuwait City. Well, the Mediterranean Sea, if you will. And I can remember where I was at. And when I got to that reserve center, and I was there on my sea bag, and I had everything, and they were issuing us our our M16s. They were issuing us our deuce gear, which is a survival kits. I remember this, Pastor. There was a young man there that was sitting on his sea bag, and his camis were absolutely as brand new as you could get. They had not been in any, any, any type of training. I went up to him, and he had a look of trepidation on his face, and I said, son, what's wrong? Now, at that time, I'd been in the Marine Corps almost six years. And I, re- I went up to him, and I said, you know what? I said, you seem a little perplexed. What's going on in your mind? He said, well, you got to understand something. He said, I just, I just got back from basic training. I just got out of boot camp. He said, I went in the Marine Corps to get my GI Bill so I could go to college or university and it pay for it. He said, I never expected to be going into war. He said, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm a little afraid. I'm kind of scared of what's going to happen. Have you ever been there? Ever been uh, fearful of the unknown? You don't know what's going to happen? Well, this young man was very, very nervous about what we were getting ready to uh, undertake. And I looked at him and I said, son, I said, don't worry. We got you back. We got you back. Now, ladies and gentlemen, almost 2,000 years ago, there were some disciples that were very, very anxious about what was going to take place in their life. But their commander-in-chief stood in front of them, and he said these words. He said, let not your heart be troubled. 
He said, ye believe in God, believe also in me. Jesus looked at his disciples and he said, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And he said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, Neil, he said the four greatest words in Scripture, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, he said, there you may be also. You know, this young man told me, he said, I've almost, he said, I almost did not show up tonight. 18 years ago, I'll never forget where I was at. He said, I almost did not show up, and I was going to be considered AWOL if I didn't, but I came instead. Do you know what the word AWOL means? It's an acrostic. It means absent without leave. Now, I want to preach a message to you tonight entitled, How to Avoid Being AWOL. How to Avoid Being AWOL. I want you to look at our text. Revelation chapter number 2, and look at verse number 1. Under the angel of the church of Ephesus, write, These things saith he that hold the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst, or in the middle of the seven golden candlesticks. Thank God that Jesus is in the midst of our churches. Matter of fact, I've been in some where he's on the outside knocking on the door to say, Please let me come in. I hope it's not that way here. I've never sensed that while I've been here. Pray that it never happens. Look at verse 2. He said, I know thy works. Now, I want to say something. I don't care what you've done, where you're at. I don't, listen, God knows your social security number. He has your address. He knows your cell phone number. You, listen, God knows what you're doing. He said, I know thy works. Look at what he says. He gives a great commendation to this church in Ephesus. He said, I know thy works and thy labor, thy patience, how thou canst bear, not bear them that which are evil, and thou hast tried. You've put to the test them which say they are apostles and are not, and have found them to, to be liars, and has borne, and has patience, and for my name's sake has labored, and has not fainted. Boy, what a commendation. He says, man, you've been some kind of church. But look at the next verse. Nevertheless, he said, I have somewhat against you because thou hast left your first love. Now, I want to ask you something tonight. Have you been at the point where you've left your first love? I heard somebody say this not too long ago. They said, I can remember when I lost my first love. By the way, that can't happen. If you're saved by the grace of God tonight, you are eternally secure in the hand of Almighty God. You can't lose your salvation. All right, let me go ahead and say that. If you're saved, listen, Psalm chapter 3 verse 8 says, Salvation belongeth unto the Lord. If God saved you, He's big enough to keep you. And this is a clear text, Steve, to show us about eternal security. He said, you didn't lose your first love, Brian. He said, you left it. Now, who moved? Not God. He said, you did. Now, folks, I want you to take a real clear study. Listen, this book of the Revelation is just not prophetic. It's practical. Brother Panos, this book will tell us something about what we ought to do. Everybody knows there's seven churches that are mentioned in the book of Revelation. Now, there weren't just seven churches in Asia Minor. There were more than that, but he's trying to give us a clear-cut plan of what's going to take place in the church dispensational age. I'm here to tell you that the first church that's mentioned is the church of Ephesus. I call it the passionless church. Something was missing in that church. Won't you let your eyes fall down in chapter number 2? Look at verse 8. And under the angel of the church of what? Smyrna, by the way, there's two churches mentioned in the seven that have get, been given a commendation. And he says, you know what, I'm not going to condemn you. He said, I, I don't have someone against you. One of them Smyrna. I call it the persecuted church. Ladies and gentlemen, almost eight years ago, I met a, a pastor from mainland China. Let me tell you what he told me. 
when I looked at him and threw an interpreter, I said, let me ask you something. How could you sum up your ministry of 32 years? Could you sum it up in one sentence? He said, I can do better than that. I can give you one word for it. Now, let me tell you a little background about this pastor. This pastor from mainland China had been in the ministry 32 years. He had been in the prison almost half of that time for preaching nothing more than what I'm preaching tonight. He spent, listen, he spent the time in prison when his grandchildren were born. Three of them were already over the age of nine years of age when he met them for the first time. And he looked at me with tears in his eyes and he said, I can sum up my ministry in one word. I said, what is it? He said, survival. Now let me ask you something as a Christian. If you're a born-again believer, could you describe your Christian life up to this point in the word survival? No. We hadn't seen anything that's even closely remoted, remotely close to persecution. But I'll tell you this, if the church of Jesus Christ is going to grow, it grew that way in the first century, it'll grow that way in the 21st century. You know what? We might have to go through a little bit of troubles and trials in order for God to maybe get the stuff off of us and burn all the stuff off where He can get to the good stuff. Amen? The church of Smyrna was a persecuted church. Church at Ephesus was passionless. Church at Smyrna was persecuted. But I want you to look at chapter number 2 again. Look at it. You go down to chapter number uh, 2 and look at verse number 12. He says, Under the angel of the church at what? Pergamos. I call Pergamos the pragmatic church. We've got the church at Ephesus. That's the passionless church. We've got the church at Smyrna. That's the persecuted church. But then we've got the church at Pergamos. I call that the pragmatic church. You say, preacher, what's that mean? That means busy. Just busy. You ever, got a, you ever been in a ministry of some sort where all they're doing is just religious exercises? It's just nothing but being busy. This is a pragmatic church. And guess what God says? I know your works. I know your works, Pergamos. And he said, all you are is a pragmatic, busy church. Do you know there's a story in the Bible about two sisters, Mary, Martha. Do you remember what happened? Jesus came to their residence. That's Lazarus' sisters, by the way. And, and, and they were getting ready to make him a meal. And here he comes into their midst. And guess what Martha does? Boy, she gets in the kitchen. She starts cooking together a meal and whipping things together. But Mary is in there sitting at Jesus' feet. And Mar Martha is in the kitchen and ain't... listen. They ain't, listen, the only thing on the, the, the stove's boiling, but she is too. Boy, she's getting madder by the minute. And every single minute that goes by, she walks by the door and says, I can't believe my sister married make me stay in here and do all the work. She's out there sitting with him. And finally, Jesus perceived that and he said, Martha, come here a minute. He said, you know what, Martha? You're careful and troubled about many things. Can you imagine if the God of heaven looked you right in the eye and said, you know what, you... You're careful and troubled about a lot of things. He said, but this one thing's needful. He said, and Mary have chosen the good part. You know what he said? I'm not going to be with you forever. And she's sitting right here at my feet. Ladies and gentlemen, you know what? We've got a lot of people that are doing things for the, in the name of God and doing a lot of religious exercises, but it's all in vain. If all you do is be busy for Jesus Christ in service and you ain't serving Him, you've missed the mark. Pergamos was a pragmatic church. But I want you to look at chapter number 2. Let's keep going. He not only talks about the church at Ephesus, the church at Smyrna, the church at per Pergamos, but then talks about the church at Thyatira. I call this 
the permissive church. Let's read a little bit. Verse number 18. Under the angel of the church at Thyatira write, These things saith the Son of God, who hath his eyes like a flame of fire, and his feet is like fine brass. He said, I know thy works and charity, your love, your service, your faith. Wow, it sounds great, don't it? Thy patience and thy work, and the last to be more than the first. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee. Because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess, to teach and to, to, to seduce my servants to commit fornication. Now look up at me. The church at Ephesus was passionless. The church at Smyrna is persecuted. The church at Pergamos is pragmatic, busy, activity going on. But the church at Thyatira is a permissive church. You say, preacher, what do you mean? You know what I believe by and large most churches today are not built on what they're taught, but what they tolerate. You ought to write that down. Most churches today are not built on what they're taught as much as they're built on what they tolerate. See, folks, I am convinced what you build a church with is what you're going to keep them with. If you build a church on trinkets and gadgets and all these other little whimsy things and all these little bells and whistles, then that's what you'll keep people with. But if you win them with God's Word and you give them the book and give them some meat, that's what you'll keep them with. See, the problem today, nobody wants teaching. They don't want preaching. You ought to hear it in my, in my country. Everybody today is a teacher, and they give a little talk. God didn't call me to give a little talk. God called me to preach. And there is a difference between talking and preaching. Preaching is like storming the castle of the human will. Look at me right in the whites of my eyes. When I get up to preach, all I'm trying to do is tell you what God's already said. And what I want to do is I want God to take His Word like a hammer and break the rocks that breaks the rocks into pieces. And there's some people in here that I might be talking to tonight and you've got this crusty, calloused heart. And what God's trying to do is take His Word like a sharp, two-edged sword and pierce right through that callous. You know what? A lot of churches are permissive and it ain't built on what they teach. It's built on what they tolerate. I want to read on. Let's look at it. Look at chapter number 3 and verse number 1. And under the angel of the church at Sardis. Now this church I call the powerless church. You've got Ephesus is passionless. You've got Smyrna. That's the persecuted church. You've got Pergamos, the pragmatic or busy church. All kind of activity going on. You've got the church at uh, Thyatira. That is the permissive church. But now you've got the church at Sardis. And this is the powerless church. There was no power there. Preacher, you'll get a good kick out of this. When we lived... Uh, in in uh, Wilmington, always drove by this community, and this guy had a lovely 1969 Ford Mustang sitting out in his front yard. I know he, I know he'd like it because he used to have one, and he had this wonder. I mean, this thing was candy apple red, and it sat out there day after day after day. It did not even move, Malcolm. He never drove the thing. Finally, I went to his house one day after a job, and I said, "Sir," I said. Is that car for sale? He said, no. He said, that's my car. I said, well, the thing is in tip-top condition. I said, the interior is perfect. It's got a nice wax job every time I see it. Why don't you drive it? He said, well, he said, it don't have an engine in it. <laughs> I said, what? It don't have an engine in it? He said, yeah, I ain't never afforded to get one. He said, I found the car. He said, I found the car online. He said, I bought the car, but I ain't never afforded to put an engine in it. You know what? It looked good on the outside, but it had no power. And folks, that's what a lot of Christians are doing these days. They look real good on the outside, but inside they're full of dead men's bones. They no power. Now, I'm not trying to ring your bell or scratch where you itch. I'm just trying to tell you that there's a lot of people 
that I speak to that, you know what, they put that varnish veneered smile on every Sunday morning, coming to church. Hey, brother, how you doing? God bless you. Good to see you. Amen. God bless you. Good to see you. God. And then they go outside and they argue and complain with their wife, treat their kids like junkyard dogs, talk to everybody at the restaurant down there like a, like a dog. You know what that is? That's having a form or a mask of godliness but denying the power thereof. Don't you be a powerless Christian. Don't you be a Sardis Christian. But let me tell you, there's two other churches, and I'll get to my message. You say, preacher, you ain't even got your message yet? No. I want you to look at the next church. Church at Philadelphia, chapter number 3. Look at it very quickly. Verse number 7, under the angel of the church in Philadelphia. We know the word means a city of brotherly love. Now, this is the second church out of seven that did not receive a con. Condem a condemnation from the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what? They were a performing church. They did what God asked them to do. By the way, obedience is not a creative thing. Obedience is just not something you create. No, obedience is you just doing what God says when He says it. Amen? Or oh me. Okay? They were a performing church, but then you get to the last church, which is the church at Laodicea. Look at chapter number 3 and verse 14. Under the angel of the church of Laodiceans, right? Things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. He said, I know thy works, that thou art neither what? Cold nor hot. Now, folks, if Ephesus is passionless, if, listen, if Smyrna is persecuted, if Pergamus is pragmatic, if Thyatira is permissive, if Sardis is powerless, and Philadelphia is the performing church, guess what Laodicea is? Laodicea is the putrefying church. You say, preacher, putrefying? What do you mean by that? He said, because you're neither cold nor hot but lukewarm, he said, I will vomit you. I will spew you out of my mouth. You don't know what makes my God sicker than anything in the world is a Christian who don't want to get on one side or the other. Do God a favor and either get on His side or not. Don't sit on the fence. You know what it does? It putrefies God. It makes God sick. Now folks, I've said all of that to say this. Look back at chapter number 2 and verse number 4. The church at Ephesus, very prominent city. It was a it was a warm water port. This was a place where commerce was running rampant, where it was a military city. There was a, uh, they had a port there. People would come in and out. There was a lot of mercantile going on. And I'm here to tell you that Ephesus was the model picture of prominence. But you know what he said? Jesus said about the church in Ephesus. He said, you know what? I got something against you. He said, oh, yeah, you've labored. You've been patient. You've kept my word. He said, but... The problem I got is you left your first love. Now, folks, I'm going to give you something that two years ago, my whole family wasn't able to come with me, but God began to work on my heart about some things. Up in your room, Amber, where are you at? Where's Amber at? Thank God for Amber. She lets us stay in her room. She gives that up the whole time we're here, and I thank God for that. I ain't trying to put you on the spot, but I thank you for that. And I'm going to tell you, last two years ago we came here. I want to tell you something. God began to move in my heart about some things. And I'm not trying to be preaching tonight from here on out. I'm just going to bear my heart to you. Let me tell you what. Let me tell you how you know when you've left your first love. Can I give you some ways you know how you left your first love? Now, I'm not talking about losing your first love. You can't lose it. Once God saved you, it, you are His, saved, sealed, sanctified, secured. You're in His hand. Matter of fact, not only in His hand, but your name's written on His hand. 
So you're saved forever. Once you trust Christ as your Savior and you turn from your sin, turn to the one that's altogether lovely, you are born again from above, never to be separated from God again. Amen? But he didn't say you lost your first love. He said you left it. Now, folks, we're walking down the road to God like this. And guess what? God don't move. But, buddy, we do. We get farther away from him. And folks, I'm here to tell you there's some ways that you can find out whether you or not you've left your first love. The first one is this. When you've got a coolness toward the Savior. A coolness toward the Savior. I was sitting in that room two years ago. And you know what? I was looking at my calendar and I was preparing all these messages for the weekend to come. And man, I just knew God was going to work and He did. He always has because you know what? You young people have prayed and asked God and begged Him to do something. It ain't got nothing to do with me. It's all about Him. But I'm going to tell you, I was in that room, and Andrew, I began to be convicted in my heart because you know what, God, I say it, God, I was doing all this for you, and I was doing all this work, and I was a pastor, and I had all these meetings, but you know what God said? He said, Brian, you're doing all this for me. He said, but when are you going to spend time with me? See, folks, here's the problem. You can do all these things for him, but all he really wants is for you to spend time with him. I promise you, if you want to know whether you've left your first love or not, number one, you'll have a coolness toward the Savior. You know what, my kids, there's been times in my kids' life, they don't want to do it anymore. They're 17 and 15, they can't sit in my lap anymore. But there's been times when my kids, you know what, when they were littler, all they wanted to do was sit in my lap. They did not want a question answered. They did not want a piece of candy. They did not want anything. They may have had a bad dream. They may have just been insecure. And they wanted to sit in daddy's lap. And you know what? I'm glad that God didn't treat us like I've treated my kids sometimes. Said, you know what? I don't have time right now, but come back in just a few minutes. You know what? Every time I've come to God, you know what he says, Neil? He says, I'll drop everything for you. You come sit in my lap. You know what all God wants out of you? All God wants you to do is spend some time with Him. And I'm asking you this tonight. You might be sitting in the service and saying, Boy, I've done God a favor by being at church on Tuesday night when everybody else is out in the pub and doing all kinds of things. I've come to church. Boy, God must be impressed. <laughs> no, He's not. God is not impressed with that. But you know what? I promise you God will bless you because of it. But let me tell you something, folks. Your performance, whatever you do, is never going to merit favor with God. Matter of fact, Isaiah says all of our righteousness is as filthy rags in his sight. You say, well, preacher, man, I feel pretty bad. He, well, you don't have to for long because when you realize who you're in, see, you're in Jesus Christ. You're royalty. You are not junk. God made you the way he made you for his glory. And you know what? Start praising him for that and stop complaining about what you ain't. Folks, we're somebody in Jesus Christ, and it's high time that the Christians realize that you know what when we become cold toward the savior that's when we leave our first love a coolness toward the savior number two i want you to look at this when you know there's some there's some surefire signs when you know you've left your first love number one when you have a coolness toward the savior but number two when you have a what i call a a casualness toward sin when you have a coolness toward a Savior and you have a casualness toward sin. You know what? Somebody asked me last night. I was talking to them. And they said, Preacher, I'm just not sure if I'm saved. How do I know I'm saved? I said, well, let me ask you a question. I said, do you love the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, yeah, I do. I said, do you love to be around God's people? Well, yeah, I do. Do you love His Word? Yeah, I do. 
do you have a burden for people that you know that ain't saved? Yeah, I do. I said, well, you know what? Do you get convicted when you do something wrong? Absolutely. I said, well, you know what? You're saved. Those are surefire evidences that you are born again from above. Am I speaking Chinese tonight or are y'all with me? Shake your head like this or like this if you're with me. Okay. Folks, listen to me. When you are a Christian and you're convicted by the Holy Spirit, when you do something you know you ought not be doing, you ought to say, Hallelujah, praise be to God. I know the Holy Spirit of God, the same one that raised Jesus from the dead, that same Spirit lives inside me, in me. And I promise you, it will get you through those tough times. But when you've got a casualness towards sin, see folks, I was raised on a farm. And do you know what? After a while, you know what ain't funny? After a while, Pastor Larry, you get used to the smell of cow manure. And you know what? When a visitor comes into town and they get out of the car, they go, what in the world's that smell? I say, what smell? Smell nothing. You know what I found out, Steve? When I used to go milk cows in the morning and I left their presence, the cows didn't smell like me. I ended up smelling like the cows. See, you know what? Sometimes we can get so used to sin and have such a casual attitude toward it that it don't affect us anymore. You know what, folks? I am, con I am convinced of this. When we have a coolness toward the Savior and we have a casualness toward sin, you know what's happened? We've left our first love. We've left our first love. Look back at our text in Roman Revelation chapter number 2. Not only if... When, when you leave your first love, the reason that you can know that you have is, number one, a coolness toward the Savior, number two, a casualness toward sin, but number three, I want you to see this. You'll have a, uh, uh, you'll be consumed with yourself. You'll be consumed with yourself. Say, preacher, what do you mean? Have you ever heard these psychiatrists on radio, or you might even have gone to one? I don't know. They ask you to lay down on a couch. You just... Vomit up all your problems to them. And they sit there and they say, well, you know what your problem is, is you don't think, you don't think highly enough of yourself. You need to have a better self-esteem. You need to think highly of yourself. You know what my Bible says? That's called pride. A preoccupation with yourself is called pride, and God never blesses pride. Matter of fact, Proverbs 16, 18 says, pride goeth before destruction, the Holy Spirit before fall. Folks, I'm here to tell you that not one time in the Bible is pride or proud used in a positive manner. And I promise you this, if you want to know how to get your first love back, you get off the couch in the psychologist's office and you run to the cross and you see what Jesus did for you. Folks, I'm here to tell you the reason that you know that you have left your first love is number one, you've got a coolness, you've got a coldness toward the Savior. When's the last time you just got down? Now, let me just get practical. When's the last time you got down in prayer and you didn't petition God for something? You said, God, I just want to sit here and I want to adore you for just however long I can. When's the last time you got down and you said, Lord, I'm not leaving here until we have sweet fellowship and I'm not getting up until you meet with me and let me know that you love me and you put your stamp of approval on me? When's the last time you done that? You know what the problem with most Christians, problem with old Brian, is the problem is that I look in the mirror and I have the biggest problem with the guy I shave every single morning. But yet I won't admit it. I won't admit it. You've got a casualness towards sin. You've got a coolness for the Savior, but you're consumed 
with self. You know what? I love stories about men who were humble. I think about a story about, about a guy named D.O. Moody. Anybody ever heard of D.O. Moody? D.O. Moody was a what they would consider him a humble man. I believe he was one of the humblest guys that ever preached the gospel that had the, the prominency he did and the notoriety he did in his field. I promise you this, D.L. Moody was a man, there's a story told about D.L. Moody going into a public arena and there was scores of people in there and they began to applaud right outside the Chicago city limits. He went into this arena, people began to applaud Brian because he was walking into the building. He was so humble, he thought they were applauding for the guy behind him. He held the door and applauded as the guy behind him entered into the building. And they were applauding for D.L. Moody. And he's standing there applauding. Can you imagine what the guy behind him thought? Well, thanks. God bless. Thank you. I mean, come on. D.L. Moody was known as one of the greatest preachers. Matter of fact, Tim, they got in a, 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 a bunch of men got together and want to have a crusade in Chicago area. They got together and they wanted somebody to preach the, 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 the crusade. And they said, why don't we get D.L. Moody? Why don't we get D.L. Moody? Why don't we get D.L. Moody? One guy stood up and said, has D.L. Moody got a monopoly on God? And then one guy stood up and said, no, but God's got a monopoly on D.L. Moody. Let me ask you something. Are you consumed with yourself? Is it got to always be about you? Do you realize, folks, that when God saved you, He saved you to reach others? God reaches down and meets your need. Your job is to come to church not to get a blessing, but to be a blessing. That's when somebody don't come up and shake your hand, don't get mad. You go to them and shake theirs. You're welcome. Some of y'all ain't liking that, are you? You be a blessing to other people. That's why God saved you is to reach others. Don't get so consumed with yourself. Do you know what Job did? Here's what Job did. Job was asked 60 questions by the God of heaven from Job 39 to chapter number 39 to 41. And he asked him questions that Job couldn't even answer. He just stood there like this. And finally, you know what Job said? After he heard all those questions asked and he couldn't answer them, he said, I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear. He said, but Lord, now my eye seeth thee. And you know what he said? He said, wherefore I abhor myself. He said, I am so unworthy to stand before you. You won't hear that in the shrink's office. Folks, it's high time that we don't have a casualness towards sin. We don't have a coolness toward the Savior. And we don't have a confidence or a... Con a, a, a we're not consumed with ourselves. But I want to give you one more. One more. <clears throat> Any of you ladies, I'm going to bring this up. I wasn't going to, but the Holy Spirit told me to. Any of you ladies... Have a magnifying mirror when you put your makeup on. I did not realize when I got married how many utensils it would take for a woman to get ready in the morning. I never do. I, my sister was seven years younger than I was. You know, and, and I had no idea that you wouldn't, every morning was like major reconstructive surgery. I mean, my wife is beautiful. I didn't think she needed all that. But I mean, all kind of stuff, curlers and wires and big irons and stuff. I mean, I'm like, what in the world? And... But I picked up her mirror one day, and I turned it around on the other side. Now, on one side, it's normal. I turned it around, it's 3X. I said, man, the guy size ugly enough, 3X, he's real ugly. And you know what? If you look at, if you've got a little pit in your skin, it looks like a crater. If you've got a little blemish on the side of your nose, you've turned into Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. I mean, it just magnifies everything. And let me tell you something, folks. God's magnifying mirror knows everything 
about us. Why don't we just go ahead and humble ourselves and say, God, you know who I am. Psalm 139 verse 1 says, Oh God, thou hast searched me and known me. You know my downsitting, my uprising. You even know my thoughts afar off. Folks, listen to me. We can't hide nothing from God. Might as well go ahead and get honest. Matter of fact, the Bible tells us even the lips of, coming off the lips of Jesus, He said, if you're going to follow me and come after me, you've got to deny yourself. Take up your cross daily and follow me. See, this ain't about you. It's about Him. If you're going to find out whether or not you've got a left your first love syndrome, number one, you'll have a coolness toward the Savior. You ain't spending time with Him like you used to. You know what 2 Chronicles 16, 9 says? The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show Himself strong on behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward Him. Psalm chapter 1, verse 1 says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. Psalm 63, verse 1, O God, thou, o God, thou art my God, early will I seek thee. Some people tell me, well, I can't get up early enough to have time with God. Well, go to bed earlier so you get up earlier and spend time with Him. You'll have a coolness toward the Savior. You'll have a casualness toward sin. You know what? Sin won't mean as much as it used to. It won't bother you. You go to you can go watch something. You can go to a place. Well, that don't bother me that much. You know what? We live in a place called Regalwood where they got a paper meal. And I'm telling you what. That place stinks to high heaven, but the longer you live there, the more used to the smell you get. Folks, don't have a casualness toward sin. That's the first, one of the first surefire ways you can tell whether or not you've left your first love. But the third one is when you're consumed with self, but the fourth one is this. When you have a carelessness for souls, you'll have a coldness for the Savior, you'll have a casualness for sin, you'll be consumed with self, but number four, you'll have a careless, carelessness Toward souls. You won't really. Let me ask you a question. There's somebody that you know. If you're a believer. Right now. That if they died. They'd spend a Christless eternity. Separated from God. And when's the last time you got down on your knees. And you begged God to give you tears for that person. And you would give, he would give you boldness. So you'd go talk to him. When's the last time. You know what? A lot of people are scared to death to go talk to somebody about Jesus. Let me ask you something. Do you really think it's going to matter when you get before the thrice holy God of Israel and you stand there and that person is going to be separated from God and they look and say, that person worked with me and never told me all this and I'm going to spend eternity separated from you, God? What are you going to do then? Because it says there's going to be a great goal fix that they can't come to us and we can't go to them. Folks, her name was Ann Sloop. About nine, ten years ago, I was preaching a meeting in Charlotte, North Carolina. Ann Sloop came to me after the service. She looked at me and said, Preacher, will you pray for me? I said, What's your need? She said, It ain't me. It's my husband. She said, My husband is lost. She said, I can't bear the fact that if I was to die, I'd go to heaven. And if he was to die, he'd go to hell. By the way, there ain't but two choices. It's ain't multiple choices. True, false. Heaven, hell. You won't hear a lot of preachers preach about that these days. Thank God your pastor does. There ain't a holding place for people, and then you can pray your way out of it. No, you go to heaven or you go to hell. You have to trust Jesus or trust your good works. 
She said, I can't bear the thought. If I die and I'll go to heaven, my husband dies, he go to hell, and I can't bear the thought of us being separated forever. Well, we got down on our face and began to pray. Ann Sloop got up. She walked out of the service. I said, you know what? I don't even know if her husband will come this week. Well, on Wednesday night, that was on Sunday night, on Wednesday night, guess what? Ann Sloop walked in the back door, and guess who was following her? Her husband. They sat down about where you are, Carl, and I began to preach, and I'm telling you right now, that guy, I don't even think he blinked the whole service. I don't even think he blinked his eyes. When I got to the invitation, Steve, I asked for a raise of hands of those that needed to be saved. If they weren't sure they are going to go to heaven but wanted to. Man, Steve didn't shoot one arm up, Pastor. He shot both arms up like this. And I'm telling you, when I gave the invitation and everybody stood their feet, Andrew, he walked out and he began to run down the middle aisle. Son, I held on to the Lord's Supper's table. I said, this guy's going to tackle me. I said, he's going to just tackle me right here. He came up and he bear hugged me. And he said, Preacher, i got to get saved, man, tonight. He said, i got to get saved, man. I said, well, hallelujah, let's pray. Andrew, I got down and we started to pray. And I said, now, I'm going to tell you something, Steve. You're going to have to ask Jesus to save you. I can't pray you into heaven. You're going to have to pray. Just talk to him. Man, Steve began to pray. And I'll tell you what, Brother Tim, he got down. And he said, oh, Lord, I've been a miserable husband. I've been a terrible testimony to my wife. He said, I've treated her like a dog. I'm so mean at work. And the whole time he's praying, I'm hearing somebody beside him going, and I looked over, and it was his precious little wife. And she was right down there beside of him, Tenica, praying. The whole time that he's praying, she's just got her hands in the air, and she's going, thank you, Jesus. And when he got done praying, he looked at me, Neil, and I'm telling you, his eyes were as big as saucers. And Brian, he said, God did it. He did it. I said, what do you mean? He saved me. Man, when he said those words, his wife, Matt, jumped up, and I'm telling you, she was transformed. This woman went into a raven maniac. She's jumping up and down going, Yes, praise God. She's bear hugging her husband and they just jumping up and down. And I looked at her and I said, Aren't you glad your husband's saved? She said, Hallelujah. And I said, Glory to God. She took a lap. She started running around the church. She came all the way down the other side and she came up to me and she's about out of breath. She's up there going, <gasps> And I said, hey, God saved your husband. She took another lap, Pastor. She started running again. Hallelujah. Now, I'm going to tell you something, folks. That kind of stuff don't bother me. It might you. It don't bother me a bit. When you know your husband's going to go to hell and he's going to go to heaven, it ought to change your heart. When I got done, I asked him to come down front. I want to talk to him. I said, Steve, I said, welcome to the family of God, but I want to ask you a question. I said, you know what? You said something I ain't never heard nobody say in my meetings. He said, what's that? I said, I heard you tell me when you came down front that you had to be saved tonight. I said, what do you mean by that? He said, preacher, I, got it. I had to get saved tonight. I couldn't stand it no more. I said, what do you mean you couldn't stand it no more? He said, you ought to have been living with me the last three weeks. He said, it's been, it's been Hades on earth at my house. He said, I said, what do you mean? you got a precious wife. He said, let me just tell you what's going on. He said, the whole time this meeting's been going on, my wife would come home. She'd cook a meal, have it prepared. I'd come home from work. I'd sit down. I'd begin to eat, wouldn't pray. She's over there praying. She ain't took a bite yet. And he would look over, and she'd just a weeping. Her just tears just rolling down her face. And she would be over there, and he'd say, what's wrong with you? And she'd say, you're lost. You need to be saved, Steve. You need to come to Christ. And man, he said, it would make me so mad, I'd slam the chair underneath the table, I'd walk out, I'd go up to my bedroom and go to bed. He said, but last night I couldn't take it anymore. I said, what do you mean? 
He said, last night about 2 o'clock, I woke up, my bed was shaking. Just shaking all over the place. He said, I looked around, my wife ain't even in the bed, man. He said, I was looking for my wife, and he said, I noticed that there was a light shining in the window, and he said, I looked over the edge of the bed, the bedpost, and he said, on the floor was my wife. And she had a hold of the covers and the mattress, and she's just shaking it, going, oh, God. God, you got to save my husband. you got to save my husband. And you know what Steve said? He said, you know what? I couldn't take it no more. I had to get saved tonight. Now I want to ask you a question. When's the last time you got a burden like that for somebody? You know how you can tell if you've left your first love? If you don't care anymore for souls. If it doesn't bother you that people are going to die, let me ask you to do something right now. I want you to breathe in, breathe out. Ten people on the face of the earth just died. Do it again. Breathe in, breathe out. Ten people just went off into eternity. In that length of time, ten people. And can I ask you a question? When's the last time you really got a burden? Because I promise you this. If you get a burden like that for people, it'll change the way you sing. It'll change the way you worship. It'll change the way you are at work. It'll, cha- it'll revolutionize your life if you think about and have a burden for people. And when's the last time you said, God, give me tears for my friends? Do you know what? Here's the great news. If you have left your first love and you are A-W-O-L, absent without leave, you know what? God has not dismissed you from duty yet. You are not in the grave. The rapture hadn't taken place because I know I'm here and you are too. The rapture's not taken place yet. So we have been left here for one reason and what is that? To glorify God and one way to do that is to reach people. So you say, well, preacher, how can I get over this left my first love syndrome? How can I get over it? I want you to turn to 2 Timothy chapter number 3 very quickly. I want to show you just a few little practical things and then we're done. Matthew chapter number, uh, excuse me, 2 Timothy chapter number 3. Look at verse 14. 2 Timothy chapter number 3 and verse 14. If tonight you have a coolness toward the Savior, if you've got a casualness toward sin, if you've got confidence in your flesh and you've consumed with yourself or you've got a carelessness toward uh, souls, let me tell you something. The great news is you can overcome that. And you can be a victor, not a victim. The first way you do it is found in verse number 14. Look at it. 2 Timothy chapter number 3 and verse 14. Now realize that Paul is writing to Timothy. This is his last letter. He is in prison. He's getting ready to be beheaded for the cause of Christ. He's getting ready to lose his life. And he says, Timothy, this is your last marching orders. This is what I'm going to give you. Look at it. Verse 14. It says, But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. It says all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. By the way, when you come into a service, when you hear the preaching of God's word, you look at God's word and you want an answer, it is profitable for four things. It's profitable for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be Perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. Now let me tell you the first way that you can overcome leaving your first love. The first thing is don't abandon the Word of God. Don't abandon the book. Don't abandon what God has taught you. You, What you know right now in that Word is sufficient enough to save you. It saved Paul. It saved Timothy. Let me tell you something, folks. It's good enough for Jesus to use in the desert against the devil. It's good enough for you. Don't abandon the Word 
of God. Number two, look at chapter number four, verse one. He said, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead that is appearing in his kingdom. He said, preach the word. And I want everybody to look at me right in the whites of my eyes. Everybody in here has been called in some way, fashion, or form to be a missionary. Every one of you. You've been called to go and give the gospel, the, listen, the glad good news of glad tidings to this world. And every single one of you can do that. So my point is this. Don't abandon the word, but Steve, don't abandon the work. God is not done with us, and we ain't in heaven yet, so we've got a work to do. Paul told Timothy, he said, Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. He said, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having what? Itching ears. Do you know what? Most, most churches, by and large in America, only want somebody to tell them what they want to hear, not what they need to hear. Now I know because I'm an American. I can speak by experience. And folks, I promise you this. We need more than ever before to have churches that ain't built on what mainly they teach, but listen, on what they teach, not on what they tolerate. There's all kind of things going on out there. I've told y'all a story before by a lady come up to me. She looked at me and she said, I saw a guy on TV. And you know what he did? He stood up in a crowd in San Antonio, Texas, and he looked at about 5,000, 6,000 people on the left side of that auditorium, and he went, and he said they all just fell out on the ground. He said, isn't that amazing? Ain't that something? What do you think about that? I said, I, I think that's about the worst case of bad breath I ever heard of in my life. Folks, I'm here to tell you that there will come a time in the near future when men will not endure sound doctrine, but they'll just want to hear what they want to hear. Get somebody to tell us what we want to hear. But look what he said. They shall turn their ears from the truth, shall be turned unto fables. He said, but watch thou in all things... Endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. Now listen to me, guys. Listen to me, ladies. If you're going to get over this thing about leaving your first love, if you're there, you may be. You may have a coolness toward the Savior. You may have a casualness toward sin. You may be consuming yourself. You may have a carelessness about souls. If you want to overcome it, number one, don't abandon the Word. But number two, don't abandon the work. Don't abandon God's work. Every one of you in here ought to know who he is. David Livingston. David Livingston is an intriguing story. Scotsman who wanted to go and be an explorer and take the gospel to regions unknown. He went to Africa, long and short of it. You know the story. Went to Africa and wrote back to his wife. He said, my heart is literally so consumed because I look out at the smoke of a thousand villages that have never heard the gospel. My heart is consumed with that. Told his wife not to come. Years later, his wife came because he was scared she would contract malaria, dysentery. You know what happened? The first thing she contracted as she stepped on African soil was malaria. Wasn't too long after that, he buried his wife in African soil. It was almost nine years later before he ever had his first convert. And do you know what? Somebody sent a letter ahead after they heard he was having such a hard time and said, Dr. Livingston, be advised. We would like to come help you. Could you tell us the easiest way to get to you? David Livingston wrote back and said, be advised, there is no easy way to get to me. Thank you very much. You know what he was saying? He was saying, this ain't easy. 
And if all you want is an easy way out, see, some of y'all looking at me and you ain't never going to get it. You think the Christian life is about feather beds, easy street, and annuity avenue. You think this is just going to be a bed of roses. Let me tell you something. Jesus said, I am not promising you anything, but you're going to go out there like sheep among wolves. He said, I don't even have a pillow to lay my head on. The birds have nests. The foxes have holes. I don't even have a pillow to lay my head on. And I'm here to tell you this name it and claim it and prosperity ministry that you hear all over the world. I'm here to tell you right now, God is able to, re to meet every need, single need you've got. But it might not always be in money. It might be in mercy. It might be in ministry. But I'm here to tell you, God will always provide. That's his name, Jehovah Jireh. David Livingston, guess what? Went in to pray one night, as most of you know. His confidant, the one that was his sidekick, came on the scene and said first words out of his mouth were, by the way, sir, so I heard a story about somebody had played a practical joke on him and hidden his medicine for his malaria, and he didn't have any medicine. He said, Lord, you said you'd be with me always, and I need my medication. I don't know what to do. Knock on the door. Here come a man. He said, sir, I've been sent here. I've been sent here to do an autobiography on you, to, to, to take a, uh, do your life, uh, to do a life a story about you. And he said, you know what? He said, I want you to know two things. Number one, he said, I'm an agnostic. I do not want you to try to convert me. And number two, he said, they sent me some medicine with me. And he said, well, thank you. I'll take the medicine. Five months later, he led that man to Christ. And that man was there. Five years later, when he stood there as David Livingston went in to pray, some people came to visit him. He went and knocked on the door. He did not come to the door. Five minutes later, he went back to the door. He opened the door up, went in there, and David Livingston fell over, and he left this world just like he lived in the presence of God, praying. They cut David Livingston's heart out and buried it under a tree in Zambia because they said this is where his heart needs to stay with the people. But they shipped his body and they buried it here in London, at Westminster Abbey. Folks, I want to ask you something. Aren't you glad a man by the name of David Livingston didn't abandon the work? What about you? You going to abandon the work? You going to abandon the word? I'm going to tell you something else. If you want to get over this problem of leaving your first love, don't abandon the word, don't abandon the work. But number three, don't abandon the war. Look at verse number six. 2 Timothy chapter number 4, verse number 6. He said, For I'm now ready to be offered the time of my departure is at hand. Everybody knows these verses. I have fought a good fight. I've finished my course. I've kept the faith. He said, Henceforth there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord the righteous judge will give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love is appearing. Now, folks, don't abandon the war. You're in warfare. We call this the spirit of the, we call this the sword of the spirit conference for a reason. You are in a battle, young people, mom, dad, teenager, grandma, grandpa. You are in a battle every single day as a Christian. This is not a comfort zone. This is a combat zone. And you are called to be a good soldier of the cross of Jesus Christ. Thou therefore endure hardness, Tim, uh, Paul told Timothy. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Don't abandon the war. Don't abandon it. That's what I told that young man that night, 18 years ago. We got you back. Don't abandon it. Don't run off. Everything's going to be all right. And guess what it was? Folks, I'm going to here to tell you, you were in a battle. And in battle, you have smoke and fire and blood. 
But you know what my prayer is for each and every one of you as soldiers? If you are a blood-bought, born-again believer, my prayer for you is this. That when the smoke clears, God will find you still swinging your sword. When the smoke clears, He wants to find you still swinging your sword. On a hill called Calvary, Jesus my Lord suffered for me. Carried the cross all the way, my sins to atone. Then they nailed Him to the cross. Great was the pain and the loss. He suffered it all because He loved me. Then they carried Him away. Placed him in a lowly grave. Surely they thought that this would be the end of this man. But on that third and glorious day, God came and rolled the stone away. He rose from the dead because he loves me. Because he loves me, my Savior died. On the cross was crucified. No greater love by mortal man has ever been known. Oh, praise His dear name, He loves me so. Now I am His, He's mine, I know. He rose from the dead because He loves me. Don't leave your first love. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Every head bowed and every eye closed. I want to ask you a question tonight. Miss Shelley moves to the piano. I want to ask a question. Judgment Day Honest. You'd say, Preacher, you know what? I haven't lost my first love. I've been saved. There's not a doubt in my mind. If I died tonight, I'd go to heaven. I've been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible. And I can raise my hand right now that if I knew I took my last breath tonight, I'd be in heaven. There's not a shadow of a doubt in my mind. If I was to perish tonight, I'd go to heaven because I've been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. And you'd say, Preacher, I can raise my hand right now as a testimony of that. Once you put it up, you can put it down. God bless you. Once you put it up, you can put it down. Thank you. I want to ask another question tonight. If you're in this room, I am concerned for you if you're not. Would you just let me pray for you tonight? You'd say, Preacher, there's a... I just got some doubts in my mind about my eternal destiny. I want you to pray for me. I'm not sure if I was to perish tonight, I'd go to heaven. But man, I want to go. I want to go, but I'm just not sure. And Preacher, will you pray for me? Is there anybody like that? Just slip it up and then put it back down. Anybody like that? would say, Preacher, pray for me. I'm not sure I'm saved, but I want to be. And I want you to pray for me. Anywhere, anybody like that? Anybody? I'll pray for you. All right, one more question. Are you in this room and you left your first love? Have you had a coolness toward the Savior? Have you had a casualness toward the sin in your life and said, well, you know, I'm okay. Well, you know what? You might sit there and be okay for another 50 years, but never experience heaven-sent Holy Ghost revival in your life. Have you just got a casualness toward it? Have you been consumed with yourself? Get your eyes off you and get them on Jesus. And have you had a careless, carelessness toward souls? When's the last time you got down and said, God, give me my tears back for my friends? 
If you've left your first love tonight, the promise is this. If you don't abandon His Word, His work, and His war, you can have it back. Maybe you're here tonight and God spoke to your heart. If He has, you need to take care of business tonight. Could we stand with our heads bowed and eyes closed? Those that providentially hinder don't need to, but if you can stand with your heads bowed and eyes closed, please do that right now. Standing to your feet as Pastor comes. The invitation's this. Search me, O God, know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. If you need to come tonight, you come on. Pastor's going to lead an invitation song. But if tonight God spoke to your heart, don't leave this place the same as you came in. You let him do, his, let him do business with you and you do business with him and let him have his way with you.